Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. It's uh, no secret if you've known me for any time that I'm a big fan of U2. And there's something about that song. It's one of their uh, most iconic songs. It was written back in the era where they were really launching as a band. And there's something about that song that captures you in its essence and in its lyric. But I know as a young person growing up, I almost felt guilty singing the words, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because surely as a person of faith, that question has been answered. But there's something in that song that I think just rises up to the fore for us, this wrestle that we sometimes have, where the experiences we have of this life and the experiences and the knowledge we have of God sometimes don't always marry up. And it's a perfect song of both gospel hope and gospel lament brought together that echoes our experience of what life is. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The song, I think, finds its resonance for people in the overtones and the questions that it asks around meaning, contentment, fulfilment and purpose. Yeah, we can overanalyze music sometimes. Sometimes it's not there to be dissected. It's just there to be felt. But one of the greatest quests that people engage on in their life is the search for meaning, contentment, fulfilment and purpose. The now late author and journalist, well-respected British journalist by the name of Bernard Levine says this. He says, countries like ours are full of people who have had all the material comforts that they desire and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there's a hole inside of them and that however much food and drink they pour into it, However many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. And Levin speaks of the well-worn ground that people, generation after generation after generation, you even find people in the earliest Scriptures, in in books like Ecclesiastes, that that have walked the ground of saying, where do I go to find contentment? Where do I go? So life feels whole and together, like that hole and that ache inside makes sense. And he speaks in, in roundabout ways to the go-to areas for people in their search for meaning, contentment and fulfilment. He talks of riches and still in this world today and still right across this auditorium this morning, there's some of us that have bought into the dialogue that if I just get more stuff or I get a little bit more stuff or I get a better house or a better car or better clothes or just a better bank balance, well then everything in life is gonna be fulfilled. And I don't want to decry the fact that that financial hardship is not something that I think is good for us, but the reality is that the pursuit of more isn't good for us either. That there's a place where we do find the happy medium of actually having what we need to do life well. But beyond that, there's this pursuit that says, if I just get more stuff, it's about the next car, the next house, the next gadget, the next phone, the next something that will make me happier. And generation after generation of people have pursued that line of thinking only to come up empty and say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Levine speaks a little bit to this whole idea of status. 
But this idea that if I, if I achieve everything that there is to achieve in my life and in my field, and if I scale the heights of all that life has to offer, well, then that's where I'll find fulfilment. But many people have walked that narrative and walked that journey and have still come back to the point of saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Levin speaks to this idea of experience. And I would say for our younger generation that, that many people have given up some of the pursuits of their parents, but now the belief is that if I experience all that the world has to offer, if I experience all the highs and lows and, and all the feelings that one can bring into life, well, then it might fill the gap and the hole and the ache within me. And yet people still sing the line, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. People chase these things and still prove or find them to prove to be empty. If you've been part of the Alpha Course, and I really want to commend the Alpha Course to you if you are exploring Christian faith. But in the first week of the Alpha Course, they quote the actor Jim Carrey, who says this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Funny, isn't it? Some of us spend our whole life believing that when we arrive there, everything's gonna make sense. And then those that arrive look back down and say, don't walk the path that we've walked because you won't find the answers that you so desire. But there's still something inside of us that searches because there is a sense that there's something missing, that there is a place, surely there's a place that we can go to find fulfilment and satisfaction. Surely one day we can sing the song, I finally found what I'm looking for. Wait for Bono to write that one. The great theologian and apologist, late C.S. Lewis, many of you are aware of C.S. Lewis, he might have read his books. I think this quote comes from a book he wrote called Mere Christianity. Uh, if you're not familiar with him as a theologian, you would know him as the writer of the Narnia Chronicles. But C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, but on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. See, it'd be easy for us this morning to think that it's just those that haven't discovered faith in Jesus that are chasing to find that hole and that fulfilment. But I wanna suggest that there's a lot of people and some of us that might be here today that do have a sense of God, but yet still have a yearning for so much more. And we go to the Scriptures. And the first encounter that I wanna speak of this morning is a man that arrives in a story in John chapter three for the first time. John brings him into the story. And he's a man by the name of Nicodemus. And in John three, verse one, it says this. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
Now that doesn't give us a long introduction to who Nicodemus was, but it gives us a fair bit of information that helps us understand where he's come from and the kind of person that Nicodemus was. We find out that he was a Pharisee, he was part of the ruling council. So through that, we can assess that Nicodemus was articulate, he was wealthy, he was born into a significant family and he had a lot going for him. He was a rich, wealthy, articulate, smart man that had scaled the heights of his chosen life and profession. See, Nicodemus was doing well in life. And so John introduces him to us and his encounter with Jesus. Verse two says this, but Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Don't don't lose that part of the story. Nicodemus, wealthy, well-known, articulate, scaled the heights of his profession. Everyone in the community would have known who Nicodemus was. But obviously there's something in Nicodemus that yet hasn't fulfilled that aching inside to to understand just what it is that's gonna bring purpose, contentment and fulfilment to him. And so he comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't wanna come to Jesus when everybody can see. He doesn't wanna come to Jesus in the middle of a meeting. He actually chooses after dinner one night when everyone else is in bed and the lights are down to sneak out of the house and come and find Jesus. He finds Jesus at night and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. In other words, Nicodemus acknowledges that he sees something in Jesus that he hasn't yet made sense of. But there's obviously something about Jesus that suggests that he's a godly man and has a godly relationship. Nicodemus yet hasn't drawn the connection together of who Jesus is, but he acknowledges that he's come from God. He says this, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. That's all John gives us about Nicodemus' prologue before Jesus chooses to speak. But it gives us enough of a context to understand what Jesus then has to say next. His introduction tells us about Nicodemus, about Nicodemus, wealthy, articulate, scaled the heights of his profession. But there's some things in that that we could likely assume about Nicodemus and the context that he brings to this conversation with Jesus. The first thing is this, for Nicodemus, the family you were born into really mattered. If you're a Pharisee of the Jewish ruling council, you had a core belief that God had gifted you by making you uh, part of the family that you were part of, that this was not an accident that God intended for you to be there. And therefore your family of birth, your family of origin really mattered. And more than that, the part, the fact that you could draw your family line and say that you are a child, a descendant of Abraham really mattered. See, Nicodemus had a core belief that the family that you were part of really mattered in the way that God saw you. There's still some people in our world today that think that the family they are born into is the thing that counts when it comes to faith. Maybe some of us here are still riding in the shadow of our family, believing that those that have gone before us, that's enough for us. See, Nicodemus just knew that his family mattered. But more than that, he had a core belief that right living counted. See, Pharisees were charged with the task of not just interpreting the law of Moses, but making sure that everybody else not just understood it, but adhered to it. They were like the religious police officers of the day. They wandered around just nitpicking everybody for not doing it quite right. So core to the belief of a Pharisee, core to the belief of Nicodemus was that right living really mattered. You can pick the Pharisees because they're the ones that wanna tell you before anything else what you need to do better. 
They're the ones that wanna pick on the way that everybody else is falling down in their religious uh, experience and their religious commitment. That's the heart of the Pharisee. That's what they do. They interpret the law and then they apply the law and they make sure that everybody else is doing it too. It's not because he's a bad guy. It's because caught in Nicodemus' belief is that we need to live right. And that therefore following the law, adhering to the law and never stepping left or right outside of the bounds of the law really mattered. So your birth mattered, your family mattered, right living mattered. And then the thing that can be drawn out of the two of those, that favour with God could be earned. In other words, if you're in the right family and you live the right life, well, God would look on you with favour. Now we might think that's crazy, but I wanna fast forward to 2019, Ormo, Queensland, and suggest there's still a whole bunch of people, whether they're in the church or not, that believe that right living is the thing that matters most to God and that favour with God is something that has to be earned. This was a core belief of Nicodemus and his crew. And it's out of that context that Jesus responds. And on the surface, it's one crazy response. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The word there that's translated born again could also be rendered as born from above. So we could translate it either way, and different Bible translations probably choose one of those two narratives. But no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are, can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This is one of those moments that gives me great hope. Because Nicodemus, a wealthy, articulate Pharisee, part of the Jewish ruling council, hears the words of Jesus and then asks the craziest question. I've said regularly here, I've said regularly in a hundred places that there is no question too stupid when it comes to exploring faith in Jesus. If you wanna understand what I mean by that, look at what Nicodemus then asked Jesus in this moment. Here's his moment to sound smart and articulate. Here's what he says. He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus' head is spinning by Jesus' response. Jesus says, you wanna see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus? You gotta be born again. You gotta be born from above. You, you, You gotta go through rebirth. And Nicodemus just goes, I have no other filter to understand this than I just know how birth happens. It's happened once, how can it happen again? And so he asks this crazy, crazy question. But Jesus continues. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, Jesus says, no, no, Nicodemus, this is not a physical rebirth. There's no kind of crazy religious sect that's gonna emerge where people are trying to you know, go back home and see if they can go through the birthing experience again. No, 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 Nicodemus, you've missed the point. You see, flesh gives birth to flesh. 
Your mother gave birth to you. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. In other words, what God wants to do in you is something brand new. It's like that you're starting all over again because the Spirit of God and God's gift to you is He actually wants to do a regenerative, transformative new work in you. This is not about physical rebirth. This is about a brand new birth into a brand new family and a brand new hope that is not something that you can conjure up. It's got nothing to do with your earthly family that you're part of Nicodemus. It's got nothing to do, Nicodemus, with the fact that you've lived correctly. It's got nothing to do with the fact that you think you can earn my favour. No, this is something that is purely the gracious gift of a loving God. He actually wants to give you a brand new birth into a brand new family. And it's not flesh giving birth to flesh. It's the Spirit of God birthing something brand new and transformative in you that you may not understand and it may not make sense, but it's gonna be like a little mustard seed that's planted inside and burst forth to be one of the most glorious trees in all of the field. That's what it's like, Nicodemus. This is what I wanna do in you, Nicodemus. Jesus in this moment starts pointing to some things that we can read into later. He, he wants Nicodemus to understand and he talks about the wind, like it's a crazy thing. He goes, we don't know where the wind comes from, where it blows, but that's what it's like when people are born of the Spirit. He's almost preempting Nicodemus to say, Nicodemus, guess what? There's gonna be a whole bunch of people, people that are unlikely, people that you would never imagine, people that weren't born into the families that you thought they should be born into, people that are living in far-flung places of the world, Nicodemus, that are gonna experience this regenerative new birth in the Spirit. You're not gonna be able to contain it. You're not gonna be able to define it, but God's gonna do a brand new work. And he's gonna do it through me, Nicodemus. It's gonna be incredible. And in this little dialogue, Nicodemus is given an invitation and it's an invitation that is given to all of us. Because you're invited into a brand new birth. You're invited into a brand new life. You're invited into regenerative transformation that only God can do in you. And it's what God does in Nicodemus and it's what he wants to do in you. So don't hear what I'm about to say now as an invitation to a guy 2,000 odd years ago. Hear this invitation as God's voice and God's words today for you. The first thing that Jesus wants us to understand is that we are born into grace. We are born into a story of grace. The most famous verse in the Scriptures comes out in the continuation of Jesus' words. He says to Nicodemus, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Nicodemus would have understood the Moses and the snake thing. He would have studied the Scriptures. He would know exactly what Jesus was talking about, but he doesn't have a clue about what Jesus is suggesting. Because Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so too the Son of Man, so too I will be lifted up. And Nicodemus is probably thinking in a glorious sense, I'm sure. But no, 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 Jesus will be just some time later lifted up with rusty nails thrust through His hands on the back of a rugged Roman cross, lifted up for all to see. And Jesus is saying, there's a new life that's gonna be offered to you through the sacrifice that I'm about to make on the cross. And all who look upon me and receive me as God's gift, well, guess what? They get to experience the grace that is offered them. He then goes on to say this, for God so loved the world 
that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So Jesus paints this prophetic picture for Nicodemus of, about, of what is about to happen on the cross. But He says that through that, the work of what Jesus is here for, the reason that Jesus is standing there with Nicodemus, the reason that God Himself has clothed Himself in flesh and blood is so that He could be lifted up, so that all that look upon Him and by faith choose to believe in Him get to experience the grace of God. And this is sometimes we just, we put on our walls and put on our screensavers, but this verse, let's, let's not get overly familiar with John 3.16. Let me again refresh you of the depth and the beauty of what it says. For God so loved the world that He gave as a gift His only Son. You see, Jesus wants to say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this is not something you earn. This is not something that comes through birthright. This is something available to all people at all time that is a gracious gift of a loving God. Because I haven't come, Nicodemus, into the world to condemn you, but to save you through what I'm gonna do. You see, what is it to be born again? It's to be born into a new story of grace. And the invitation for all of us this morning is that if we spend our life chasing that next thing that we have to do to earn God's favour, Jesus wants to say to us this morning, no, 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 I want you to look somewhere else to understand what God's favour looks like. I want you to look upon me nailed to a cross. And if you choose to put your faith in me and my story, guess what? Your story It fades into insignificance compared to mine and my story becomes yours. Too many of us are trying to live right to convince God that He should accept us. I'm not saying that right living doesn't count because something happens when we gaze upon Jesus and we put our faith in Him. We actually choose not out of obligation, but out of worship to start to reform our behaviour because we start to trust and believe that the way God tells us to do things is the best way because He doesn't tell us to do it to make life difficult. He tells us to do certain things because He knows what happens when we live His way. You know what happens? We start to flourish in life. So right living is not an obligation. It's actually a response of worship to the grace of God. And every one of us is invited into a story of grace that will transform you. It'll be like you're born again. The slate of your life or the dumb decisions or the mistakes, the consequences of some of those may remain, but guess what? The consequences for your eternal, the eternal consequences of them are wiped away. Some of us need today to get a hold of grace because there's things that you've done in your past story that you cannot change. You lie awake at night thinking about them, you rework the scenario in your head, you beat yourself up, you wonder if you made a different decision, you wish you could change it and you spend your whole life living through the lens of what you've done. Jesus invites you today to look through the lens of what He's done and into what He wants to do with you in the next chapter. Because there's something that yet hasn't been written that He wants to write with you with grace as the overtone of your next chapter. When you get the grace of God, there's a new freedom in how you live life. There's a new freedom in how you relate with others. There's a new freedom in how you see yourself. You see, some of us don't see ourselves in the light that God sees us because we're constantly seeing ourselves through the filter of what was. God is actually seeing us through the filter of what His Son has done and of what is. So the invitation today is an invitation to be born into the grace of God.
The second invitation is to be born into a brand new family. John 3, 5, Jesus says to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. In other words, it's a spiritual rebirth. But, but I don't think we can read this and not sense that Jesus is alluding to something that has become a practice for us and has been a practice for generations before us, the, the practice of water baptism. And Nicodemus would have understood baptism not in the sense that we do, but baptism or the art of, baptism is just a word that's been transliterated. In other words, it's not a translation of an old word. It's actually just the word itself. The word was bapto. It means to dip or immerse. In the Old Testament, in Jewish culture, baptism was actually a form of cleansing and a ritual. But more than that, there were people that were outside of the Jewish community that wanted to join the Jewish community. And part of the process of joining their brand new community and family was to go through this ceremonial act of being baptised. And so Jesus doesn't see them as separate. He says, you know, you've got to be baptised of water and baptised of the Spirit. It's really important we hear this morning that being baptised in water doesn't equate to salvation. But the Bible doesn't actually talk or understand salvation as separate from the act of being baptised. This is part of the normal process of Christian birth. And so the challenge for some of us today is that we've never actually taken the public step of being baptised. As I said, that doesn't make you right with God. It's just a public declaration of the brand new life that God is giving you. It's like a visible picture of what it is to be reborn, to be dunked from your old life into the water and raised again into the new life in Christ. So I would encourage you that for some of us here today, my message is now done because your response is it's time to get baptised, to declare to your community here that you've put your faith in the grace of God and that you're being baptised into the new life that He offers you. Baptism is just a physical symbol of something that God's already done in you. So if you've put your faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptised, it's time to get baptised. We're gonna have a baptism service next week. And then uh, if next week doesn't work, we're gonna have a baptism service in a couple of weeks' time. But if you haven't been baptised, now is your time. It's just a physical sign of the new family that God puts you into as well. So we're born into a brand new family. Jesus not negating or downplaying the role of our physical family. But he's inviting us into a brand new spiritual family made up of people that have accepted him as their Lord and Saviour. And John already alludes to this in John chapter one, he says this, yet all who did receive him, Jesus that is, to all those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So what's the invitation? The invitation for you and I is this, God wants to invite you to be part of his family. Man, I love the language of this. God doesn't invite you to be a subject. God doesn't invite you to be a servant. God doesn't invite you to be a slave. God doesn't invite you to spend your whole life groveling to make it up for him. God says, you know what I wanna do? I wanna do something brand new and you wanna give you a spiritual rebirth into my family. You're gonna be a child of God. And some of us have had terrible experiences of human families. Some of us are sitting here today and we don't even know the name of some of our human family. But God invites you into a brand new family, His family, the most loving, gracious, caring, purpose-filled, meaningful family that you will ever find. A family filled with some of the people that you're sitting with here today, 
people that you can, in, in a sense, call as your brothers and sisters because they too are children of God. Man, God is so gracious in the way that He invites us into a community and into a family. You were never designed to do your Christian life and your Christian walk alone. He's put you here for a reason. If it was about doing it individually, we wouldn't do this. What's the point? There's a lot of effort in making some of this happen, but man, I don't know about you, but I'm so much richer because of you guys. And if you stop and think about it, you're so much richer because of others that are sitting here. Why? Because we're richer because of the family that God's put us in. So the implication for Nicodemus is he's born into grace, he's born into a new family and finally he's born into a new future and inheritance. 1 Peter 1 says this, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, Nicodemus. It's not about trying to make it happen physically. It's actually a brand new thing that God wants to do in you. And it's the same thing that God wants to do in you. He wants to give you a brand new life something that just, that just starts to bubble up from the inside. And it's gonna be marked by His grace. And you know what grace is saying to some of us here this morning? Grace is saying those things that have held you back because of the dumb decisions that you've made in the past. Well, God wants to give you a fresh start from that. As I said, in this human life, some of the consequences of our decisions follow us. But the implications for our future and our relationship with God and others from this point forward don't need to follow us. God Himself the one that actually gives us definition for what is good and what is wrong and what is right actually draws a line in the sand and guess says, I'm gonna actually choose to not even remember those things. Actually, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna invite you into my family. You're gonna start again and we're gonna write a brand new narrative that's gonna follow you, not just for the rest of this life, but it's gonna walk with you through your own experience of resurrection to the eternal kingdom that God has prepared for you. This is a great story. Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus. We don't see the outcome of it there. Nicodemus is just introduced in a couple of short passages and then Jesus goes on this long dialogue that then leads into other things. But Nicodemus appears two more times in the Gospel of John. For the first time, he appears in chapter 7 where the Pharisees and the other religious leaders are arguing about Jesus. And, and suddenly we see Nicodemus reappear and he actually goes in to defend Jesus. You see, something's happened from that first encounter when Nicodemus decided that he needed to come find Jesus by night so nobody knew what was happening. And the Bible refers to that. He says, Nicodemus, the guy that came to Jesus at night, he's now sitting with his peers and he's now starting to publicly profess some things about Jesus. It's not a long reference, but it just says Nicodemus asked a question of them that, that shows us that there's a change happening in his heart. Fast forward to the end of John's Gospel and the death of Jesus and John makes sure that we know that when Joseph of Arimathea came and took Jesus' body from the cross and took it to the grave, he tells us in chapter 19 that Nicodemus was there helping prepare and bury the body of Jesus. That's all that Nicodemus appears in the story. He's introduced, Jesus goes on this long story about rebirth. 
He defends Jesus in a council meeting and then he's there to help bury Jesus. But I reckon we get enough in those snapshots to know something that Nicodemus got a hold of this whole idea of what it means to be reborn into the story of Jesus, into the story of His grace, into the invitation to His family, into the invitation to a brand new future and inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Nicodemus' story is a story of transformation and rebirth. And all of us are invited to have that same story. It may not come as a flash of lightning from the sky. It actually starts when we choose to just say and, and proclaim with our lips, I choose to acknowledge you, Jesus, as my Lord and as my Saviour, to accept what you've done on the cross as my story for your forgiveness and for your grace to become my story. Lord, give me brand new start. Give me rebirth. Church, can we stand together this morning? In a moment, I'm gonna pray and then the band's gonna lead us in one final song that speaks about living hope. But I want some of us to actually respond this morning. And you know, there's something that happens when sometimes we make a physical response. You see, for Nicodemus, at some point he had to open his mouth publicly in front of his peers and he had to be seen as aligning himself to Jesus. And I don't wanna to get too complex in my response, but let's just give me three things that I believe God's calling for some of us to respond to this morning. Firstly, some of us have never experienced what it is to be born again. We've never actually started that journey of, of following Jesus, of inviting Jesus to be our Lord and Saviour and allowing Him to do this transformative, regenerative work within us. I actually wonder if there's some of us here today that we've, got, we've had a sense of God all of our lives. Maybe we've sat in church a lot. Maybe we've gone to all the right things. Maybe, you know, we say some prayers sometimes, but we've never had an encounter with Jesus that actually leads to a fresh rebirth of life in Him. Well, if that's you this morning as we sing and as we close our service, I'd love you just to make your way from where you are to the front of the church, just down here, just these front row of seats. And someone would love just to stand with you and talk to you about what it means to start life as a follower of Jesus, to receive everything I've spoken about this morning, His grace, His forgiveness, His invitation into a brand new family, into a brand new future and inheritance for you. Secondly, there's some people here today that you need to get baptised. And every time I get up and harp on about this, you come up with a brand new excuse. You feel free to come and argue with me, but the Scripture does not know of a moment where we don't choose to put our faith in Jesus and then take the step of baptism. It's not about your maturity because if you start thinking baptism is about when you got it together and you're mature, you're not living through grace. You're living through the desire that you earn God's favour. Baptism is actually just, man, I'm part of God's family. I've made the decision, I'm following Jesus. Now let me enter into that publicly in front of my church family and let's do this. If you've never taken that step, but you've already made the decision to put your faith in Jesus, now is your time. I'd love you to make your way forward too. The third group of people, just as I've been praying this week, I really sense there's some of us here that grace has not yet established deep 
in our psyche, in our conscience, in our experience. And I don't want it to be something this morning that's just about a new knowledge of grace. I believe that the, the words of this series of encounter, that God actually wants you to have an encounter with His grace. And so if you are here struggling because you live your life through the filter of what was and not what is to come, we wanna pray that you would have a fresh encounter with Jesus and His grace this morning. We're gonna pray with you. So if you wanna start the journey of following Jesus, if you need to get baptised or if you need to acknowledge that you've never had an encounter with His grace, we'd love to pray with you this morning. As I pray, you can start moving. As these guys sing, you feel free to start moving. We'd love to join with you and pray. Father God, I wanna thank You. I wanna thank You for the offer of new life, new birth, that transformative moment, that moment of regeneration within. It's not something we can conjure up ourselves. It's not something we deserve, but it's something that You've chosen to do out of Your great love for us. It's Your gift to us. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You that we get to be part of a brand new family. Thank You that we have a great hope and a future that we look forward to. Father, I wanna pray that some of us would walk out of here this morning with a fresh encounter with Your grace. Not just a new knowledge of it, but a fresh encounter of it. I pray these things in Your precious Name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.